If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we've been working through this. And you know, the interesting thing is in the Bible, oftentimes uh, they would use illustrations of family or sports or whatever to determine or show what we should be doing spiritually. And in this passage, it just so happens, it's a passage we were coming to this morning, but uh, Paul, as he was talking about his relationship with... uh, the Thessalonians began to talk about how he was like a mom and how he was like a dad and how he related to them in that way. And so I began to think, well, you know, then we can begin to see how moms and dads should be treating their kids. What's it like to be a mom and dad, according to what Paul says here? Because he says, this is the example of how I treated you as like a parent. And so I want to go back and look at that. But as I was thinking about it, and I thought about parenting, and I thought about motherhood, I don't hear much said today in in the church or if you're listening to Christian radio or uh, going to some Bible studies, they talk about how to be a good mom. But in our culture and society, I don't hear very much about it today. It's kind of hopefully you get it together and do an okay job. And I think that's sad. I, I was asking a few people, what do you hear about in terms of women today? What, what do you hear about on the news? What do you hear about on social media? You hear about being a good mom, how to be a good mom? We all say we love our moms and what they did for us, but do you hear about being a good mom and how to be a good mom? And, you know, I, I didn't talk to very many, but a few, and they said, no, I can't think of any time I'm really hearing much about that. It's, it's not out there in the world, the world system. You know what they talk about? They talk about making sure you get a good wage, making sure you prepare for a good job, making sure that you break the glass ceilings. And I'm for all of those things. I think women ought to have equal pay. I, I believe that they should have equal opportunity. I believe if they are the best qualified to fill a, a political position, then that's, they should fill that. I don't have any problem with that. But I'm going to tell you today, I think the most important job moms have are being a good mom. Raising your kids, that's your legacy. That's what's left behind. It's what you implant into your children. It's the difference you make with your kids. And we've gone away from that. It's... It's kind of the idea that we've we've been caught up with with this equality and competition instead of and 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 it isn't that men are better than women. I don't believe that, and I'm all for women having equality, but we're just not quite there. It's a it's a hard thing sometimes being a parent. I, there was a mother of three I read about. She had three very unruly uh, preschoolers. They were they were just little toddlers but they were all over the place and somebody asked her if you had to do it over again would you do it would you be a parent a mom again and she said oh yeah absolutely sure (laughs) just not these three and uh you know it's not easy parenting I, i think it can be one of the greatest joys it can be one of the greatest headaches it can be one of the greatest concerns we have that first first child we're not always ready i uh i read this article it was about a woman and they were a uh, couple, and and they were 
thinking about that first baby and the anticipation of bringing home that soft, cuddly, wonderful, delightful infant. Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? This is is mom and dad getting ready for that baby to come home first week. You realize after that, you realize that you really have a cross between the Terminator and the Swamp Thing. I mean, this creature sleeps when you're awake, and they're awake when you're asleep, and they have a set of lungs that can drown out the jet. My wife used to say, honey, I'm sort of forgetting what our baby's face looks like. I've spent so much time looking at the other end. And uh, sometimes we're just not prepared. We're just not ready. We hope that we have had uh, good training growing up, and we've had good examples to follow. I I wish I could tell you that I have a combination for you, that if you do just exactly what I would tell you, your kids are going to turn out perfect when they get to be 25, 30, that they're going to be perfect. They will never have made any mistakes. They will never have messed up. I can't tell you that today. The Bible gives us lots of direction on how to raise kids, and I believe it is the best source that we have. Uh, We go to too many other sources when we begin to look. There are some great Christian books. I, uh, I think parents ought to be reading those. But the Bible is our, our greatest source, and even then, we aren't going to know whether we will se- or we're successful until our, until our kids hit about 70. That's when you find out how you did. And chances are we may not be around at that point. Children are a, a gift. Do you know that? Psalms 127, it says, Your children are a gift from the Lord. And some of you would say, Well, I'm not sure about my kids, but I, I know my grandkids are. All I have to do is look on Facebook for some of you grandkids and know it. You know, the Bible tells us we are to continuously be teaching our kids. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it it gives the Shema and who God is, and then it says you teach them while you're sitting and standing and laying down and walking by the wayside. And, And parents are to continually be looking for those teaching moments. It may be after you watch a TV program and you go, man, those values aren't where I want to be. They aren't where I want my child to be. And we need to talk about that. It isn't that you won't watch it. It's simply that we need to talk about what's right and what's wrong and what isn't. And what do you watch and where do you go to and what do you read? They're a gift from God. And we need to to understand that. We need to really focus on that. Well, I want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. If you have your Bibles, as I said, turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. Uh, We looked at 1 through 6 last week. We're going to go back just briefly. If you do not have a Bible, you'd like one to follow along, just raise your hands and David will make you get one, or will get one for you. (laughs) Boy, not a good day. i got to talk to my mother about my grammar. Not my grandma, my speech. Anybody need a Bible? Okay. So last week we started with those first six verses, and I want to just look at them very quickly again. Beginning in verse 1, it says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. It was not a waste of time. There are those who accepted the Lord. There are those who are growing in their faith. The church is established. It was a, boy, such a positive investment of our time. 
But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God, hold on to that word, to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation, our coming alongside of you, does not come from error, (laughs) improper teachings, what that would be, or impurity and improper life, or by way of deceit, trying to trick you into what we believe. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Let me just say something. That is the idea of being a steward. He had a responsibility. The gospel belonged to God, but he was to share it. So we speak not as pleasing men. It's not all about what others think, but God who examines our hearts. says we didn't come with flattering speech. We didn't try to make you feel so good about yourself. But as you know, nor with pretext for greed, not to get rich. It's not what we're going to earn off of what we do. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as the apostles of Christ, we may have asserted our authority. We may have said you needed to pay us. But he said that wasn't the case. I want you to go back to that fourth verse. It says they were entrusted with the gospel. It was a stewardship. And I want to just take that and move it a little further. If children are a gift from God, they belong to God. You are entrusted with raising them. They are a stewardship. They're a responsibility. One of the greatest responsibilities we have as parents is how we raise our kids. Do we raise them to honor and glorify God? There is stewardship, and then in verse 3, I like this. It says, our exhortation, our teaching does not come to you from error or impurity or deceit. Back up in verse 2 is where I want to get it. It says, we had boldness in our God. And I'm going to tell you something today. We cannot have mamby-pamby parents. You need to be bold in how you raise your children. You need to tell them the truth. You need to tell them what is right and what's wrong. And you need to take a stance because your kids are going to get enough of the other teaching every place else. They're going to get it on social media. They're going to get it with their peers. They're going to get it at school. They're going to get it just about everywhere they go. And it isn't always according to the word of God. And we need to be bold, parents. We need to take a stand so that our parents know what's right. Our kids know what's right and what's wrong, and they know where they need to be going as young people and as adults. And it's a responsibility. It's, it's been entrusted to us by God. And then it went on, and, and we really get into this parenting in verses 7 and 8. It talks about the mom. And how Paul said, I was like a mother when I came to you, he says, but we proved to be gentle among you. To be a steward is to be faithful. Okay, that's faithful to your calling, faithful to what God has called you to do. But to be a mother is to be gentle. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond of affection for you, We were well pleased. We were well pleased. 
to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. The motivation for a mom is her love for her children. It's the responsibility that God has given to her, and she is gentle. I would have to say a mother is not only gentle, but along with gentleness comes the idea of patience. A mother has to be patient. Of all things, a child should be able to come home and man, maybe they've been pushed all over the place all day long. Maybe school was hard, others weren't kind, and know that mom's there to comfort and encourage and be gentle and be patient. Patience. You've got to be patient from the time you get that little baby home. You know that? You get up and you put the baby to bed and, and it's uh, you go to bed at 10 and all of a sudden at 11, 30, 12 o'clock, you hear it in there, you're up. Oh, no. You go in and you rock the little baby, you feed the baby, you change the baby, you do all of those things, you go back to bed at 2 o'clock. There's the baby again. Happens at 4, happens at 6. You're tired, you're worn out. This has gone on a week, it's gone on two weeks, three weeks. And boy, it's easy to become impatient. You hit your husband. You get up. He's not, I can't do anything. <laughs> Patience. Child stumbles and falls, and who do they go to? They go to mom. Daughter's heartbroken over some dumb guy. <laughs> who comforts him? Mom. Mom's the gentle one. Uh, the other thing is, we look here, and I think moms are nurturers. They tenderly care. Uh, they're concerned for their well-being, that, that idea of tenderly caring. Uh, it's, it's like a, a brooding. It's, it's watching over them. And I look at moms today, and that's, that's really one of the big things, is they care for them. They minister to them and they help them. Now, I do want to say some things. Moms aren't weak and they take a stance. Moms, you need, when dad's not there at least, you need to be the leader in that home. You set the direction, you set the guidelines. The kid doesn't control you. I was reading a book and a story was in there about a, a pastor who had gone to a, a doctor. He had an infection or a problem with his ear and he was sitting in a room and there was a mother in the room next door. And she was crying out to the doctor, Doctor, you've got to help me. Son had an ear infection. You've got to help me. You, you, you've got to help me to stop him from getting sick like this. And it goes so long and you've got to give us medication. And the doctor says, well, you just have to keep him out of the pool. Oh, no, he's too big. I can't keep him out of the pool. He, I, I can't handle him. I can't do that. Doctor, you've got to help me. I have no other recourse and, and, and you've got to come alongside and you've got to give us medication and man this guy was sitting in the room listening to this and he thought what's going on there this kid's really out of control he's he's got to be 16 or 17 about that time they were through and the mother came out with her son he was five i i told you you need to be tender but sometimes, moms, you've got to be confrontive because you see the kid doesn't run the home. And it happens too often. 
And so moms need to be confrontive. They need to be caring. They need to meet the needs of their children. That word tenderly loves means to cherish, to foster that child. Uh, a nursing mom gives them what they need. It actually says, if you were to look at the, uh, the passage there, it talks about a nurse with her own children as a nurse tenderly cares or cherishes her own children. Well, a nurse may take care of other people's children, but she has a whole lot different attitude towards her own. And so she protects them, she nurtures them, she makes sure they get food and the right types of food. She makes sure that they're warm when they go out. (laughs) No, you're not wearing those, it's 30 degrees outside. You know, put, put some shoes on, some socks, get dressed. Don't, don't put on shorts today. Moms are caregivers. Uh, I hear moms today talking about the kind of food they give their kids. They've got to make sure they get the, the right stuff. I kind of smile when I hear it. We want free-range cattle. Got to be free-range beef. No hormones, no extra feed, it's grass-fed. When I grew up, that's all we had. Free-range chickens. We tried to keep them in the pen, but they got out with the little ones, and they free-ranged. I mean, it was just part of life when you were on the farm. You, You had that. And I would have to tell you today, probably, the majority of beef that you buy, they may do some extra feeding. They may put some hormones in some. Then they bring them in. They put them in the feedlot, and they let them feed up on a little corner silage. They've been on grass all year. And guess what? They're grass-fed. But that's a big issue today, grass-fed. And I'm not sure how they guarantee everything's Angus. When you get it, it's red meat, Okay. Angus is great, but we had Herefords. Uh, Range cattle, kind of mixed sometimes. But moms need to make sure that their children are cared for, they get fed well, that they watch out for their health issues. But this is the one that really gets me. And that is, as I read this passage, and it talked about Paul... We, he says, we were having a fond affection for you, having this love for you as the Philippian believers, as the people there. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. The word there is souls, because you had become so very dear to us. A mother loves her children, and they sacrifice Sometimes they sacrifice sleep. Sometimes they sacrifice food. Have you ever noticed when there's a last piece of pie and their child's there? And the child, can I have the pie? Yeah. She was saving it for herself. But you can have it. They sacrifice. They sacrifice their love or their lives for their kids. They give up sometimes occupations that they were trained for and striving for because they see the need to be with their children. Children do best when mom's home. Do you know that? Studies have shown that if the child goes away to school but he knows mom's still there, he's more content than if he knows she's not there. 
mom's sacrifice. There was a story of a little boy that was born with a birth defect. He, he was perfect in every way, except he didn't have ears. He, he could hear, but he didn't have any ears. And he grew up, and as he was growing up like this, the kids would tease him, and they would laugh at him, and call him names, and bully, and all those kinds of things. And all through life, he went with this through his school years. And he had, uh, he was embarrassed by it a little bit. Why wasn't he like everybody else? It, it so happened he did very well in high school, and he got a scholarship to a university almost clear across the country from his folks. And he went there, and while he was there, he was getting good grades, doing super. He didn't get to go home much, but he was doing great. So he didn't know everything going on at home, but he knew that he was doing his job. And the doctors came to him, talked, and said, you know what, we can do implants there now. We can we can take somebody else's ears if they are a match, blood type and otherwise, and we can attach them to your head, and you can have ears. And he was ecstatic. But boy, there were not very many people that had the same type blood and everything that could be a donor for him. He, donors were slim in terms of people doing that. And then one day they came to him while he was at the university and they said, we have a donor. If you would like to have the ears placed on your head, we have a donor. And he said, oh, I'd love it. And so he went through that surgery. He was ending his uh, career there at the university. He had done very well and they attached these ears that they brought in, and he looked at himself, and he said, man, I'm normal. I'm like everybody else. It is so wonderful. I am so thankful. Still hadn't been home, and it was the next year probably or so, he got a call from his dad. He says, your mother's very sick. We don't know if she's going to make it. You need to come home. And he got the first plane out, and he flew home. And he was too late. His mother was gone. And he was sad, and, and she was there in the casket, and he came, and he looked, and his dad was with him. And he stooped down to give her a goodbye kiss on the cheek, and he slipped the hair off and realized there were no ears. Mother's sacrifice, I don't know about your mom, but my mom sacrificed so much to raise three boys. And as a result, we all know the Lord. And I'm so thankful for the impact that she had on my life. But mom's sacrifice. It's a... One where we evaluate, I haven't got that, I'm going to just read it very quickly. In verse 9 it says, you recall, brethren, how our labor and hardship, and Paul was a tent maker and he would work to earn his living plus going out and sharing the gospel. It was hard work, it was difficult. He said, we work night and day. So as not to be a burden to any of you with the gospel. He says, your witnesses, oh, by the way, so is God. What you're doing, guess what? God watches it. Your kids watch you. But your heavenly father watches you too. He knows what we do, guys. And I would just say today that guys are to be providers. I really believe that. Moms and dads both work very often. In order to make it in our society and our culture, it takes two incomes. 
but the dad needs to be a provider for his family. As much as possible, he needs to be a provider. Your kids need to see you as you get up and go to work and you bring home the money and you need to be a hard worker. It says God watches us and so do our kids and and we get it done. And if our wife has to help us support that plus doing what she does, boy, praise the Lord for wives like that. I, uh, I struggle today when I sit and I hear guys say, if I go to work, my wife should go to work too. If your income can make it, your wife shouldn't have to go to work. I truly believe that. Hasn't worked out for us. We moved from Oregon. Darlene wasn't working. We moved to the Bay Area, and immediately she had to go and learn to be a school teacher. That would not have been my choice, but to remain in the ministry, it was a necessity in California. But you know, my choice, looking back at this, would have been for my wife to be home with my daughter. We've lost that. I'm amazed when guys come to me and say, well, i got to work, she's got to work. It's not a tit for a tad. It's how do you work as a complementary pair to make your family function better, to raise your kids in a godly manner, to support them. It says in verse 10, guess what? God's watching you and so are your kids. And you set the example And in verse 10, I believe, dads, your lives need to be an example. It says, how devoutly, that's talk about holily, that's being holy, set apart to God. Do they see that your life is set apart to God? This is your example you're setting. Uprightly has to be righteous, responding towards others in a right manner. Blamelessly, nobody can bring a charge against you. When we listen to politicians today, they say, I'm going to run for office. And immediately that week, somebody comes out with a charge. Oh, he molested me. He did this to me. He did that to me. He doesn't have his taxes together. He doesn't have his finances together. He says that pastors are to be blameless. But you know that's for every Christian. And if we aren't there now, we need to get there. That's a responsibility. To be blameless. For what reason? So my children see it in my life. I'm an example for them. My life is to be an example. I'm to to be devout, holy, upright, blameless. Talks about my integrity, the purity of my life, the actions, the language I use. I heard some gal the other day and she was talking and she got a little hot about something and I heard a word come out and I just went, where did you get that? I knew the family. Where did you get that? Your kids don't need to learn things. Darlene's a teacher, and every once in a while a kid will come in with a foul foul word. She said, we don't use those words in our classroom. You don't use the Lord's name in vain. You do not use foul language in our classroom. And they'll come in, and she'll say, your parents do that at home? Yeah. Well, you don't do it here. Because, you see, we pick up, those kids pick up what our parents do and what they say. And we need to understand that. We are to be 
an example. And then finally, we're life coaches, Dad. We instruct for life as we go down to this next verse. Verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting. That means, the word exhort means to come alongside. Uh, Paul was saying as a pastor, I didn't just preach to the masses. I came alongside of the individuals. I was a comforter. That's that word. Encouraging also means to comfort. It means to console. If your children need to be comforted or consoled, dads, just like mom does that, so should you. Imploring each one. Imploring has to do with being a witness by your life. You know, I don't think kids like it to hear say how we were raised. I, well, I went through this, I did that. You know the old story of the dad that says, oh man, you guys have it so good. I used to walk six miles to school in the snow. You know, they don't say that much in California. But, but we hear that. That's the illustration. I never walked six miles to school in the snow. Let me tell you. We only lived three miles from school. And then I didn't walk. We had a bus. But I remember when my dad and I, he was, uh, I'd come home from college and come home from the service, and he was starting me out in a, as a general contractor. We had a loose uh, partnership. And we'd oftentimes ride to work together, and those were some of the best times of just talking to my dad about life. And talking about marriage. And talking about kids. And I picked up things from my dad's experience that I wouldn't have realized that he had. And he would tell what it was like when he was younger and what he went through in his years. And he was in the service and I was in the service. But dads, you were to be a coach to your children in terms of their life. In terms of their spirituality. In terms of how they live. You're a teacher. Dads need to teach their kids. And that means you've got to make time to be with them. You've got to spend time with them. I, I, I'll give the example of Susanna Wesley. Uh, she wasn't the dad. She was the mom. But she had nine, ten kids. She would spend an hour with each one of them every week. Individually. Just with them. Find out where they were, what they were doing, what they were learning, what they weren't learning. And, and, and there was only one of her five that didn't learn to read before they, after they were five, at five years of age. She said, that one's slow. Turned out okay. The purpose, so that you will walk, so that you will live. This is why moms and dads do it. So that you will live in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We have a purpose. We have a purpose. And that's to help our kids live in a way that honors God and a way that honors you as their parent. But it takes work. And it takes focus. And it takes direction. And it takes understanding the role of the mom and the role of the dad and sitting down together as a couple and the ideal situation God meant for it, husband and wife together as a team determining what is our purpose and what are we going to accomplish with our kids. Not how much money are we going to put away in the next year. But how are we going to make a difference with our kids? 
so that they grow up to walk worthy of the Lord. And I said, you may not understand how well you did until they're 70 or 80, but it needs to be something that lasts. Parenting, it's a joy. It's wonderful. I, I liked going to the softball games. I went to a concert this last week where my granddaughter was singing. I love that. So proud of her. But then we have to go back and say, where are we in all that? And how do we make it work and function effectively as parents? Let's pray, shall we? Father, Mother's Day. Mother's Day, just a great time to, to focus on moms and raising our kids. And it's, it's amazing to me in our study that it came right here. And Paul was talking about how he was a pastor and how he was an evangelist. But he said, I was a, one who came to you as a gentle as gentle as a mother, I wasn't browbeating you guys. I wasn't hammering you. I was gentle like a mother. I, I was faithful. I was there when I could be. And then he said, I was like a father imploring you, begging of you. Is that picture that you might know Jesus Christ, that your lives would be right. And that's what fathers ought to be doing, making sure their kids get the right direction and the right guidance. We live in a world today that doesn't talk much about being a good dad or a good mom. It just kind of takes it for granted. You have kids, it's going to happen. All kinds of families in the world today. The Bible teaches a mom and dad, husband and wife for life. Father, help us to grapple and grasp the things that you have to teach us and to know your will. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you especially for moms, for my mom, for Darlene's mom. They were faithful. They were loving. And Father, that's where all moms ought to be. And I see that with our families here, so many of them, pouring their lives into their families. It's a priority. Thank you, Father. Bless each family, each mom especially today. And those who may not be moms and, and are going to be or aren't going to be, uh, bless them. Each one, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.